0: Hey, I'm Justin from Hellhound Hot Dogs, an all-vegan hot dog cart over here in Brisbane, Australia. You can find us at Between the Walls or uh, somewhere on the streets of Brisbane um, or at Facebook.com. Um, and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the
1: human being and fish can coexist peacefully.
2: Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, Let's
3: well. get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human
4: animals. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, your favourite show from the bottom of New Zealand. In the latest news about priceless New Zealand waterways being messed up big time by high-quality, quote, dairy nutrients, we have this lovely story about a local polluter from the press, a Christchurch newspaper. The deliberate pollution of a Canterbury waterway with tens of thousands of litres of effluent will jeopardise a multi-million dollar clean-up plan of Lake Ellesmere. Canterbury farm manager Blair John Lloyd, what is that? Like crazy name, Blair. It's like three three first names at all. Okay, crazy. Uh, this Blair John Lloyd character narrowly <laughs> narrowly avoided home detention after causing one of the region's largest ever illegal effluent discharges. Instead, Lloyd was fined twenty thousand dollars and sentenced to two hundred and sixty hours of community service when he appeared in the Christchurch District Court in November after allowing more than 44,000 litres of effluent to discharge from a Springston property into a waterway flowing into the environmentally sensitive Lake a Appalled Ngai the main local tribe of Native Māori New Zealanders, Chairman Mark Solomon said the pollution had jeopardised an $11.6 million plan to clean up the lake and that's about 10 million US dollars. Government, industry, and Naitahu are pumping a huge amount of time and resource into reversing the degradation of Te Horror Hora, uh, Lake Ellesmere in English. And if we don't succeed, the consequences will be considerable. Solomon said the lake's condition was the result of 150 years of poor farming and development practice in the area, which was no longer acceptable. Federated Farmers North Canterbury Dairy Chairman, Karen Stone, said news of the discharge was, quote, hugely disappointing. You'd like to think that everyone would have upped their game, and this sort of thing wouldn't happen. It's not too flash. And what was slammed by Judge Paul Keller as, Very deliberate, offending, Lloyd disconnected a pipe from a blocked irrigator and placed it under nearby trees, allowing diluted effluent to spill over into nearby drains. More than 44,000 litres of diluted effluent was discharged over four days in October 2010 before Environment Canterbury staff noticed the discharge. To put that more than 44,000 litres of diluted effluent into perspective, diluted with water, no doubt taken clean, fresh water, quite possibly from one of the Canterbury region's fossil water reservoirs, you know, that's water that's accumulated over hundreds or thousands of years, and here they are pumping it out onto the ground and using this precious water to water down cow shit so that they can claim their pollution is diluted 44,000 litres. Okay, well, I drink a fair amount of water each day, maybe one to two litres? So, if Jordan drinks two litres of water each day, that's about one five-thousandth of the amount of watered-down shit this farmer negligently pumped out each day, each and every day. And the thing about water is, it tends to be naturally recycled. So every time Jordan goes to fill up his little water bottle, guess what used to be in that water? That water came from a river, a river that stretches out far into rural Southland. By the way, I'm just trying to accentuate my accent on R sounds, water, river, rural. All these lovely farmers pumping dairy effluent, diluted or not, it goes into our water. Gee, thanks farmers! Like the yearly event townies accurately predict called winter, which always seems to have farmers caught without preparations, leaving starving baby animals to die in the paddocks, pollution is a non-stop problem. I took a screenshot of a farmer saying online how he would flout the new rules placed upon him, how he was meant to move the sewage hoses each day to spread the nutrient all around his paddocks. He couldn't be bothered, so he'd just move it when he felt like it. It's simply a fact of farming life. Nice animals go in, huge tons of dairy nutrients come out. Tens of millions of animals are killed each year in this country alone, and stolen car food is sold for a quick profit, regardless of the cost to everyone elsewhere, or Lake Ellismere. Listening to the No Agenda podcast, which covers the mainstream media, as well as quirky stories, www.noagendashow.com, host Adam Curry mentioned eating a vegan brownie.
1: Um, I had a, um, a vegan brownie. It was made with a little bit of chipotle. It was so, yeah.
4: It was great, and he really enjoyed it. Well, with such good vegan karma immediately negated by the idea of high-quality, organic, free-range happy meat, it kind of puts a dampener on, on the joy of finding a vegan clip in a mainstream show you listen to where we find happy meat, named chickens being killed and sold at Texan farmer's markets.
1: The farmer's markets here in Austin are, they have a whole sustainable food um, community and they're very serious about it. You know, you go, and, uh, you can go You get some eggs on the carton of the eggs, it has the name of the chicken that's nice you yeah.
2: get real eggs down there yep
1: yeah. and uh if you you know so we we bought a whole chicken and he says you know this uh this chicken's name well I forgot the chicken's name we ate it Ugh. um just you know've I've handled this chicken uh, 16 times uh, over the past uh uh nine weeks
4: 16 times what do you get killed and sold as happy meat
1: and uh, you know they got pictures of they're walking around, you know, in the, hanging out. I don't in the know grass. if that's such a good thing if you have kids in the
5: family. I tell you this: kids don't like eating animals who who have na- that have names.
1: No, I like it. I think it's a uh, no. no you're,
5: think, it's you.
1: I think it's a good idea. Yeah, this is grace. We got honey made uh, made here locally in Austin.
4: It's always great to hear veganism being brought up on your favourite shows randomly, especially in a positive way, such as when the main host discovers great vegan brownies being sold at local farmers markets. But the idea that we can treat hens nicely, that we can then kill these chickens, that they don't actually matter, that all we care about is the way they are treated before we confirm their thing status, we can do so much better than that by promoting veganism. I work for my father's second hand and antique business, buying an estate lot, all the furniture from her house, couches, cabinets, chairs, beds, tables, pots and pans, pretty much everything but the kitchen sink, and then only because the damn things are so often tightly screwed down. We were dealing with a man from outside of Invercargill, whose mother had died alone in her small flat. It's always something to think about while I'm left to unscrew the beds, taking the headboards and footboards off, to better position them in our truck. Hmm, so this is the master bed. This is where the woman most likely died a couple days ago, in her sleep. Marvellous! And now I'm kneeling down in her off-fallen skin flakes and the crumbs from where she ate toast and bed. The ambulance crew or whatever came and scooped her up into a body bag and then she just chilled out at the hospital morgue for a while before being embalmed and put on display in a coffin and finally buried. Lovely. Oh, I could tell you some stories from on the job that would really freak you out, such as the time we got an estate lot where an obese woman had died in her sleep. She lived alone, so she wasn't found for a few weeks and she had preserved animals stuffed everywhere, all around the house. She was interested in breeding chihuahuas, and all her cats and dogs had crapped in every room. Mice or rats had eaten holes through her skirting boards. Every room had walls full of holes, and rat crap, cat crap, dog crap everywhere. And her bedroom in particular had the worst smell I can imagine inside. A smell that would make you want to vomit, which I nearly did when I first became overwhelmed by it, working in that very room for an hour or so during the day. Turns out, she had died alone, in her bed and a house filled with animals everywhere, and she was only discovered weeks after her departure, you know, from life, when, as the gossip I heard from two independent sources went, a workman was busy installing a satellite dish or something on the house next door, and he saw her body through the window, and saw the little dogs eating her face
3: snatched Mowgli's keychain, frantic, Carlo scrambling for the gun, and came the pigs in a rush to the meal that was struggling to get up. Carlo managed to fire the 357 once, and a pig collapsed, the others climbing over the dead pig and onto Carlo and Piero and the body of Mowgli. More rushed on through the barn and into the night. Dr. Lecter holding Starling was behind the gate when the pigs rushed through. Tommaso from the loft could see his brother's face down in the pack, and then it was only a bloody dish. He dropped the rifle in the hay. Dr. Lecter, erect as a dancer and carrying Starling in his arms, came out from behind the gate, walked barefoot out of the barn, through the pigs. Dr. Lecter walked through the sea of tossing backs and blood spray in the barn. A couple of great swine, one of them the pregnant sow, squared their feet to him, lowered their heads to charge. When he faced them, and they smelled no fear, They trotted back to the easy pickings on the ground.
4: Think of the movie Hannibal. The character Mason Verger, who peeled off his face with shards of mirror while on drugs, and the pig specifically bred to maul Hannibal and eat him alive, who later finished Mason off, at least in the inferior movie version, which completely removed the fantastic character Margot Verger, Mason's sister, who was a massive bodybuilder, a lesbian who, for some reason, needed her barely alive through mechanical means brother to be a donor for her partner, to fully inherit the verge of fortune and produce her heir. In the book, Mason isn't actually there while Hannibal escapes with Clarice, The pigs finish off as wicked henchmen. Margot actually uses Mason's favourite pet electric eel as a taser, using other animals as a means to an end, of course, keeping other animals as pets and see where it gets you. She shoves the eel down his throat after making a brief speech. The eel bites onto Mason's tongue, and as he's electrocuted, his bitten-off tongue causes him to drown in a mouth filled with blood. The electrical stimulation at one end of his body is apparently enough to help Margot collect a sample from the other to produce the verger ear required. It's a graphic movie alright, but, as always, you can't beat the book. To my dying day, I'll curse Sir Peter Jackson for danging up the end of Return of the King, removing one of the most vital chapters, Scouring of the Shire, where Sharky, you know, Saruman, has fled to enslave Hobbiton, where Frodo and the gang return home later and find their beloved hill houses and ponies and rivers set on fire, steel mines everywhere, basically turned into Mordor. That's also where Saruman was killed. Not some nonsense about being trapped in his black tower the whole movie, or having Legolas firing a warning arrow at his head, with Gimli accidentally, knocking the bow causing the arrow to not go wide but of course straight through his head where he tumbles cartwheeling down to land on a watermill spiked through the chest as the wheel slowly spins him down and into the water like in the enhanced extended whatever you call it version we see parts of the constructed scouring of the shire set and the vision frodo gets in fellowship of the ring when he sees into the future with galadriel The Shire in flames, people screaming, dark figures, that's what really happened. A New Zealander royally danged up the ending of Return of the King, of Lord of the Rings. So, on behalf of my countrymen, let me set the record straight.
5: Standing at the door was Saruman himself. Looking well-fed and well-pleased, his eyes gleamed with malice and amusement. You didn't expect to see me here? I did not, said Frodo. "'but I might have guessed, a little mischief in a mean way. "'Gandalf warned me that you are still capable of it.' "'Quite capable,' said Saruman. "'And more than a little. "'You made me laugh, you hobbit lordlings, "'riding along with all those great people, "'so secure and so pleased with your little selves. "'You thought you'd done very well out of it all, "'and could now just amble back and have a nice quiet time in the country.' "'Saraman's home could be all wrecked, and he could be turned out, but no one could touch yours. "'Oh, no! Gandalf would look after your affairs.' "'Saraman laughed again. "'Not he. When his tools have done their task, he drops them. "'But you must go dangling after them, dawdling and talking, and riding round twice as far as you needed. "'Well,' thought I, "'if they're such fools, I'll get ahead of them and teach them a lesson.' "'One ill turn deserves another. "'It would have been a sharper lesson "'if only you had given me a little more time and more men. "'Still, I have already done much "'that you will find it hard to mend or undo in your lives, "'and it will be pleasant to think of that "'and set it against my injuries. "'But do not think that when I lost all my goods "'I lost all my power.' Whoever strikes me shall be accursed, and if my blood steams the shire, it shall wither and never again be healed. The hobbits recoiled. But Frodo said, Don't believe him. He's lost all his power, save his voice that can still daunt you and deceive you if you let him. But I will not have him slain. It is useless to meet revenge with revenge. It will heal nothing. Go, Salomon, by the speediest way. Saruman turned to go, and Wormtongue shuffled after him. But even as Saruman passed close to Frodo, a knife flashed in his hand, and he stabbed swiftly. The blade turned on the hidden mail-coat and snapped. A dozen hobbits, led by Sam, leapt forward with a cry, and flung the villain to the ground. Sam drew his sword. "'No, Sam,' said Frodo, "'don't kill him even now, for he's not hurt me. And in any case, I don't wish him to be slain in this evil mood.' "'He was great once, of a noble kind that we should not dare to raise our hands against. "'He has fallen, and his cure is beyond us. "'But I would still spare him, in the hope that he may find it.' Saruman rose to his feet and stared at Frodo. "'There was a strange look in his eyes, a mingled wonder and respect and hatred. "'You have grown halfly,' he said. "'Yes, you have grown very much. "'You are wise.' And cruel. You have robbed my revenge of sweetness, and now I must go hence in bitterness, in debt to your mercy. I hate it, and you. Well, I go, and I will trouble you no more. But do not expect me to wish you health and long life. You will have neither. But that is not my doing. I merely foretell." He walked away and the hobbits made a lane for him to pass, but their knuckles whitened as they gripped on their weapons. Wormtongue hesitated, and then followed his master.
4: There's more to the chapter than that, including Wormtongue killing Saruman after years of abuse, but notice how Frodo handles problems by talking through them. Forgiveness, not anger. Resolution, not revenge. Like a four-foot-tall Dr. Will Tuttle. Come on, movie makers! Don't alter great books! Although, I just learnt that in Hannibal, with the scenes in the kitchen where brains are on the menu, there's a vegetarian cookbook on top of a refrigerator. I often credit Silence of the Lambs for making me become vegetarian, considering how we treat other animals as things, that they are not a he or she anymore, but an it. It puts the lotion on its skin. It is killed humanely at the processing plant, reborn, as if in a woman's skin suit, as meat. Seeing a vegetarian cookbook plainly in view is a great little cue. Yeah, maybe I don't want to be non-vegan anymore. Speaking of vegetarian cookbooks on top of refrigerators during gory scenes in popular fiction... So, at this recent estate lot with my father and the son of the woman who died, I heard them having a conversation about the chest freezer, a large, two metre by one metre high freezer, most often used for storing dead animals' bodies. I figure in the vegan world of the future, there won't be any need for huge, inefficient freezers. We might have soy ice cream and frozen vegetables, but that's about all we need, right? Fresh fruit and vegetables for the whims. I overheard my father asking, This filled with meat? The son said, No, not much. To which my father retorted, Oh, because sometimes we dump them at the SPCA. You know, because that's just what all the dogs and cats in cages at our local SPCA shelter need a freezer filled with dead corpses from the house of a dead woman. The son added, Yeah, not much meat, not worth it. Just like the recent Southern Times story about a rural woman who trapped and shot. Unwanted cats dumped out her away, because it was apparently too much effort to take the cat in a trap, a little different from a cat in a hat, to the local SPCA a couple kilometres away. Yeah, it was easier to shoot them with a rifle. From the article. It was the second time in six months she had to face the unpleasant task of trapping them and killing cats. She had trapped and shot eight cats, the most humane option, she said, since July. Having to defend her property from cats others were too lazy to take to the SPCA should not have to happen, she said. I don't like shooting things, emphasis mine. I shouldn't have to, shooting things. Her pet cat Blondie, which she had trapped nine years ago, had to be taken to the vet two years ago after she was found with puncture wounds on her back and furrow ripped off, Miss Alice said. Apparently she caught Blondie as a wild cat, and she turned out fine. Could the other cats not be spared a bullet to the brain? We trapped a big male cat not long after, and he was a real nasty piece of work. She said that the location of her property, which was down a gravel road, may be attractive to people looking for a convenient place to drop their cats without being seen. I've seen some dodgy looking cars come through here, and I won't think anything of it, Then, a few days later, there'll be a new cat coming around. They should know better. A resident on the rural property for ten years, Miss Alice said the dumping issue had become more of a problem in the past two years. No, I can't take them to the SPCA. We are miles away, and one at a time is just not practical, she wrote in her letter to the editor. They end up wild and carry infection, and they hassle my pet cat and my chickens. The SPCA has an open-door policy. If you don't take care of your pets, do the right thing and take them to the SPCA. Don't be a sneaky gutless coward and throw them out the car door when you think no one is watching. I sent in a reply that there must be a better way to help these animals rather than shooting them. That surely, the woman could drive these cats the few kilometres to the animal shelter every now and then, out of the goodness of her heart. Or ask the shelter, which accepts all unwanted animals, to have someone collect them from the animal's property. Doesn't that make sense? I tried to be polite in my reply. I mean, the answer not to have someone film me while I storm in and confront the woman, to threaten that I'd have a thousand vegans from Invercargill surrounding her property, making a racket, all up in this woman's face. Jordan Wyatt, remember the name!
2: And the three
4: so there I was playing a house lot with my the father, father, father the son the holy ghost
5: They caught the last
3: train for the coast the day the music
1: died and they were singing couple lobby
6: together miss monkey so you want to pop that shit get your mother cranium crack step on up now we ain't no mother Joke, so remember the name mighty mighty d-r yeah mother now understand this my nigga drake can't be touched lukes bending over so lukes getting busta. buster thought i was sleazy i thought i was a mark because i used to hang with easy animosity made you speak
4: with yeah, you speak. yeah they were going to the coast but perhaps not the west coast home of gangster rap we all know where the one being with three separate bodies that were all the same yet different where they were singing about going.
2: Singing, bye-bye, Miss American
3: Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry
1: Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die
4: They're in a house with my father and the son two non-vegans who wouldn't have considered in the slightest the animals being killed for that meat, the corpses who were killed, kept frozen in an elderly woman's freezer, and then to be thrown in the trash on rubbish day. My father was a slaughterman for about a decade. Perhaps the other man had worked at the works before too. The animals in the freezer, they were killed for nothing. Well... Unlike the other animals, we cage their entire lives, kill, dismember, package, and sell, and spend more time cooking their remains than eating them, to then be flushed down the toilet like so much diluted dairy nutrient. They were overlooked, just as the American Humane Association certifies movies where cow skin, sheep's wool, and dark chicken flesh was eaten as a fill-in for human brains as being in line with their organization's movie monitoring, with Hannibal having their little note in the credits. American Humane Association monitored the animal action. No animal was harmed. As vegans we realise that's incorrect. Scenes appearing to place animals in jeopardy were simulated. We need to raise awareness about veganism. As Professor Roger Yates would mention, the coiner of the term veganism, a founder of the English Vegan Society, Donald Watson would put... We need to ripen people up. To veganism. Potentially by contrasting the difference between ripening vegan food, as the banana goes from green to yellow, and further on to a wonderful blackish-brown useful for making banana cake, so do people who die alone in bed and have their faces torn off by ravenous non-vegan chihuahuas, as inspired by the slobbering of the pigs. Well, actually, forget about that, or try to, I think we'll be more effective by sticking to non-graphic images, like of our hen friends. How often do people consider what they are buying? How often do they make a conscious choice to be non-vegan? Do they know what goes into the products they buy,
2: such as, mm, hot dogs? Hot dogs are an all-American fare, but most likely it was German sausage makers who first came up with the idea.
4: Ah, I see, it's patriotic and belonging to the country even though immigrants came up with it. Although America's not the only melting pot, as we'll find out as we learn more about hot dogs.
2: In fact, there are reports of German immigrants selling them from push carts in New York's Bowery as far back as the 1860s. A century and a half later, hot dogs are still the number one treat on the street. Traditional hot dogs, are made from a mix of pork, beef, and chicken. The cuts they start with are called trimmings, pieces of meat left over from cutting steaks or pork chops. The trimmings are ground the same way butchers chop up hamburger meat, by pushing the cuts through grated metal plates. Processed chicken trimmings are added to the ground meat, followed by food starch, salt, and other flavorings. This factory manufactures an incredible 300,000 hot dogs an hour. That's close to two and a half million per shift. They really do churn them out like sausages. Fire up the grill and a mouth-watering meal is just minutes away.
4: Yeah, I'll stick to the vegan hot dogs I buy at my local supermarkets, thanks. People on the street though, would they buy a plant-based hot dog from a guy with an all-vegan hot dog company in Australia? That's the question I put to Justin, of Hellhound Hot Dogs, and his answer was, why yes, yes they most certainly would. The Skype call to hell, or a place nearly as hot, Brisbane, Australia, is a long journey. The fire and brimstone slightly affect the call quality. And with me today is a vegan over in Australia, and Justin has a wonderful business. How are you, Justin? Very
0: good, thanks. How are you?
4: Good. Um, We're having Australia-like weather at the moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I heard you're up uh, almost in the 30s.
4: Yeah, someone told you that, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Justin, could you please tell us a bit about your business and, and how how you got the idea to have such a wonderful idea for a for a vegan business in Australia?
0: Well, I was on tour as a stage manager with a um, small dance company and I was vegan and finding hard um, in all these kind of small rural areas that we were going to to find vegan food. So I, I made a little mobile kitchen and was feeding myself and um, everyone else on the tour. Money that I raised actually ended up donating to Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Um, and but while I was doing it, I was like, hey, this is kind of fun, just you know, making vegan plus food and feeding people. And even non vegans were eating it and appreciating it because it was just it was convenient for them. Um, so then uh, at the end of the tour, I'd, I'd save a bit of money go, I'm going to start a um, vegan hot dog business because everyone loves hot dogs. and. Uh, sent out from America because it was a very traditional classic looking hot dog cart. <laughs> um, that's sent out and after waiting for it for ages and paying lots of money to a bunch of different government departments, <laughs> um, I finally got it and yeah, started with some, some vegan
4: hot dogs. Oh, that's good. That, um, I hope you don't have to pay too many governmental bribes to get a business done in Australia and you know, kickbacks. But, uh...
0: Yeah, half a dozen different government departments that I'd never heard of. But... <laughs> Oh, you have to pay this fee and, and the next month. And oh. um, so this fee and this fee and this fee. And, uh, yeah. Eventually, I, I managed to come up with enough money to, to pay them all and I got my hot dog cut.
4: Ah, well, how long have you been vegan, Justin? What made your interest in veganism in the first place?
0: Um, I'm only a reasonably n- noob. Um, Same here. <laughs> vegan, yeah, like three years ago, Christmas Day, I've uh, been a of mine. Uh, who were were never, um, you know, pushy or anything about their um, veganism. Um, had just often had me around to their house for dinner and, and cook great food and stuff like that. And um, they'd given me a copy of the DVD Earthlings. Okay. Stuff, whenever you're ready, watch that. Uh, started for, for health reasons more than ethical reasons, like taking, uh, eating less red meat. Was feeling really good about this kind of reduction in, in uh, you know, opening meats and stuff like that. And then, uh, Christmas Day was feeling extra bloated after a, a family lunch affair, and then went over to my vegan friend's house and said, asked them, I said, oh, would you watch this with me? I said, yeah. and, uh, if, if you think it's a good movie, then, then let's watch it together. And um, you know, a good friend Nick said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, sat there and. Nick's you know, canine companion, Benson, was sitting on my lap and started doing things and I think I made it about 20 minutes through it and um, was, you know, had tears rolling down my face and um, just said, oh, it's okay, you can turn it off then. That was it. I just went vegan um, on the spot
4: that's great to hear Um, I was sort of vegetarian and vegan before I saw Earthlings but I think it's made a real big difference for a lot of people I'm only a recent vegan too about a couple years now as well and um, yeah I think uh, I normally focus on sort of more, less graphic, let's say, <laughs> uh, videos and documentaries and stuff and photos and things like that, but um, I'm really glad I saw things and I, I wish that everyone would see it, really. You can't force people to, to watch something that we don't want to watch, but I think we should know what, what goes on in these sort of things. Um, Justin, do you think that most customers realise your hot dogs are vegan? or Is it is it obvious to people, do you think, or do you tell people, you're like, oh, I hope you're enjoying that vegan hot dog?
0: Uh, it totally depends on where and when I'm setting up. Um, I go to a lot of uh, punk shows and hardcore shows, um, and all the kids at those shows know that it's vegan. A really good crowd, you know. They're open minded. They're younger. They're, they, they, they kind of think outside the box. They go against the side a little bit, um, just just by their choice of you know music and that sort of thing. And I usually sell a lot of hot dogs, and I get to you know be open and honest about them being vegan. Um, Valley area in Brisbane, which is where uh, on the average 45,000 people go every weekend just to get wow. kind of obliterated drunk and, and dance around, and find prospective mates, and you know, just be, be humans, I, I suppose. Um, but the, in that scenario, I don't openly, um, I, I'm, I'm less honest about the, the vegan nature of. come to me and they know um, because they've heard of me through their friends or through Facebook or, or whatever. The um, majority of my in that situation um, have no idea that what they're eating is a vegan.
4: Maybe it could be a good selling point if you did mention it because I see there's a, a documentary on on the uh, on American television It went around YouTube about what's really in things and this one was about how it's made hot dogs. And um, it's talking about hot dogs are made from leftover parts of the slaughter process. You know, eyeballs, ears, lips, testicles, guts, tongues, anuses, etc. Check it out. It went around Facebook a while ago. So maybe if you said, "Hey, this is vegan," you know, maybe it'd be a, a good selling point. What brand are the hot dogs, and have you found it always <laughs> cost-effective to have them? Uh, like, is it about the same price? Do you think as um, non-vegan hot dogs would be?
0: Yeah. It's uh, Redwood Veggie Deli. Okay. very believably hot doggy, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think out of, I've sold quite a few thousand hot dogs um, by now, and I've had, I think, two or maybe three people complain about the taste okay. out, of, out of thousands of hot dogs, so yeah, so they're, they're a pretty good product.
4: Oh, that's great. Um, I, I've seen the photos of them and in New Zealand we have an Australian brand, I think it's Australian, Sanitarium and I think they're made in Australia. They've got uh, hot dogs that you get them in a pack of six or so and they look similar and um, it's just uh, great to think there's more vegan hot dog companies, actual sausage part, and um, as well as the companies putting them together on the street and at concerts and stuff and so congratulations on that.
0: Thanks. Yeah, yeah there's quite a few brands. Um, Sanitarium ones are uh, less less. Unbelievably hot doggy. I think I've yeah you know, mm-hmm. I've tried the sanitary ones. There's Another brand fries that makes them. Okay. I tried a few okay. different brands before I decided to pick up on the red uh, the belly ones.
4: Ah, oh, well, how did you come up with the name of your company and the logo design, Justin?
0: Oh, my good friend Nick, who was the one that showed me Earthlings in the first place, just um, he knew that I was starting a hot dog business, and he rang me one day and he's like, "Hey man, I've got a I've got a name." what is it? It's was like Hellhound Hot Dogs. I was like, that's, amazing. that's <laughs> amazing. It was actually not my idea, it was Nick. And then for the artwork, I saw some artwork, a CD um, that I really liked. It was like a rockabilly band from Canada. And um, yeah, I really like the artwork, so I found it done it. it Hellhound Hot Dogs. Can, you, can you draw me up a logo? And <laughs> put a, a sneaky V in it somewhere. So, yeah, um, I saw that. <laughs> The charm around the dog's um, neck. So yeah, he did an amazing job on the, on the artwork.
4: Oh, I, I totally agree. And um, I think it's great that it's um, such a bold and distinctive design that people can recognize your company and what you're doing. And it's just great to see a vegan business that's got a sort of distinctive logo and getting out there. Yeah. Um, here in New Zealand we have a, you know, a small pizza chain called Hell Pizza and initially they, they started off in New Zealand offering large pizzas for a low price and that was for university students up in Wellington, our capital of New Zealand, and they grew and grew and grew and grew into a multinational franchise, Hell Pizza International, although probably most New Zealanders don't know that you can buy a Hell Pizza in Canada, the UK, Ireland, India, or even this faraway country called Australia I hear. And um, yeah, for some reason we got this company here that has a whole Howl theme with Satan everywhere and lusty female demons and seven pizzas named after the seven deadly sins and all kinds of fire motifs throughout each store. You know, it's got a the pizza box, it's got a um, cut-out foldable coffin built into every pizza box so you pop out the net shape after you finish your pizza and dispose of the evidence and for your remains, it says, and... Um, the HAL, the ordering number for hell Pizza, it's always the country's emergency number like in New Zealand where we dial 111 for the police, fire department and ambulance. They have the toll-free number, you know, zero eight zero zero six 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 one one one. and in the UK yeah. it's apparently very catchy. It's zero eight four five six 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 nine nine nine. it sounds really catchy and um, yeah, they have a penchant to run these potentially offensive ad campaigns, such as buying a New Zealand man's soul on our largest website, the eBay ripoff Trade Me for 5000 New Zealand Dollars, and, you know, have fun rowing your little boat alone buddy in circles without your soul to help out, like in that episode of The Simpsons.
6: You, Shank! How could you tell on me? Why well, I don't want hungry birds pecking my soul forever. Soul? Oh. Come on, Millhouse. There's no such thing as a soul. It's just something they made up to scare kids, like the Boogeyman or Michael Jackson. But every religion says there's a soul, Bart. Why would they lie? What would they have to gain?
1: I don't hear scrubbing!
6: Well, if your soul is real, where is it? It's kinda in here. And when you sneeze, that's your soul trying to escape. Saying, God bless you, crams it back in. And when you die, it squirms out and flies away. Uh-huh. What if you die in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean? Oh, it can swim. It's even got wheels. In case you die in the desert and it has to drive to the cemetery. <sighs> How can someone with glasses that thick be so stupid?
4: And um, they give out hell uh, branded condoms in people's litter boxes to promote the Lust pizza. And, um, yeah, I've got no idea at all why they haven't opened stores in America yet, you know. Those guys are so separate in matters of church and state, right? So it's not like anyone could be offended by a Hal themed fast food restaurant. And um, yeah, so Hal have this great vegan pizza called The Sinister. And we don't have any vegan restaurants in the city I live at, in cargo at the bottom. So being able to say, among the other sort of restaurants and cafes that have vegan food available, you can just go to hell and just say, hey, can I have a a double sinister, please? And it's refried beans, avocado and peppers, and, um, you know, there's always that issue of supporting a non-vegan business, you know, it's got minimum wage staff out the back, and they act like little hell raisers and add animal fat and who the dang knows else to the vegan guy's pizza when he orders, but, you know, um... Justin, do you have any plans for Hellhound Hot Dogs International and after you've answered yes, could I be your first franchisee in Invercargill, New Zealand?
0: (laughs) Actually, I I don't have any plans to expand, Um, only because, yeah, I I, um, have pretty simple um, tastes like as long as I can afford new guitar strings every once in a while. (laughs) My rent and um, yeah, actually, yeah, I need some new drumsticks at the moment. But um, yeah, I I don't have this attitude to business as make it as big as it can possibly go. I kind of have it as um, if I can do it two days a week and make enough money to survive, then I'm a really happy guy. Lots of time to spend doing you know activism type stuff. I volunteer for um, bat rescue and conservation and Sea Shepherd Conservation Society play in a bunch of bands and just, yeah, I want to use music as a platform to, um, you know, uh, communicate my system and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't, I'd hate to get so involved in the business that it was like my, my real driving force kind of thing. I'm really scared and wary of that happening. So <laughs> my, my shiny little hot dog tricycle. <laughs>
4: well, well, if we wanted to find out more about you online, where would we go to find your website and Facebook group?
0: Oh, probably just go to the Facebook, um, facebook.com slash hellhoundhotdog, yeah.
4: Thank you very much for joining me on my show, Justin, and I've got uh, friends from Invercargill, New Zealand, I've got at least one, Rich, who's moving over to Brisbane, and I saw on Facebook, he said that he'll have to go and find you, so that's uh, one new vegan customer I've sent your way. and um, if you ever do change your mind about selling out and being all commercial and opening up franchises in New Zealand, and Invercargill, New Zealand in particular, let me know.
0: Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. With the franchise thing, if anyone wants to open a Hellhound hot dog cart, they can feel free. If they're going to be giving vegan food to people, then yeah, be happy and, uh, all be happiness to see it. See Hellhound hot dog cars open up for a drive. So <laughs> they Request any money for it, they'd be like, no, fine. If you're going to be sharing vegan love, do it. Well, thank you very
4: much for your time, Justin.
0: Yeah, very welcome. Thanks very much for your for your um for your interview.
4: I can't thank Justin enough for his time. I mean, it was very difficult to arrange an interview with someone in hell. And uh, his hellhound hot dogs company sounds wonderful. The company has an excellent logo of a rabid bulldog from hell. As Justin pointed out, the spiked collar of ownership has a gold medallion with a large V on it for veganism. As soon as some shirts are available in my size, I'm going to order a couple and enjoy wearing them around Dimvercargill explaining their origin whenever possible. Oh, my shirt? Well, my friend Justin over in Australia has this really awesome vegan hot dog business. And then give them one of the Imbesok cards I carry with me at all times in my pocket. Just thought you might be interested where I keep the cards in my pocket. It's not like I keep them behind my ear or anything. Although you'd be really surprised what my grandfather could find back there, back when I was younger. He could always manage to find a coin behind my ear Oh, and he had this weird ability where he could steal my nose too. He was a tricky one, that grandfather of mine. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Nonhuman Animals. You can find the script for this episode as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Nonhuman Animals at coexisting.co.nz. If you'd like to find a good vegan hot dog in Brisbane, Australia, look out for Justin and Howl Hound Hot Dogs. Tell him Jordan sent you, he won't have a bloody clue who I am, but it gives you something to say while you add mustard and sauce to your vegan hot dog, and as he hands you, your change. If you want to contact me, I'd really love to hear from you. Please send an email to info at invsoc.org.nz. Info at invsoc.org.nz. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. Jordan Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T.
2: Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy, it's better for you, it's certainly better for the planet, and most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.
6: Please, you have something of mine on a little piece of paper.
2: Oh, so you're Bart Simpson, eh? Well, since my breakfast burrito is congealing rapidly, I will be blunt. You're too late. I sold your soul last night. Yes, yes. I found a buyer right away for that item. Cool. I am not at liberty to divulge the party, but they were most interested in having possession of little boy's soul.
6: Ooh, Ooh.
2: Um, Excuse me, no banging your head on the display case, please. It contains a very rare Mary Worth in which she has advised a friend to commit suicide. Thank you.
6: Are you there, God? It's me, Bart Simpson. I know I never paid too much attention in church, but I could really use some of that good stuff now. I'm... Afraid. I'm afraid some weirdo's got my soul and I don't know what they're doing to it. I just want it back. Please? I hope you can hear this. Lisa, you bought this? With the change in my piggy bank. There's no change in your piggy bank. Not in any of the ones you know about. Please, thank you. Happy to do it. But you know, Bart, some philosophers believe that nobody is born with a soul, that you have to earn one through suffering and thought and prayer, like you did last night. Uh-huh. <laughs> huh! It's like hunting on the channel. Stroke, stroke.